Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. But other than that first sermon series that started this whole thing off, um, I, I would honestly say that the sermon series that we are starting today is probably the most significant series um, that has ever been preached at, at church. Over, over the next 10 Sundays, we're going to do our utmost to describe uh, uh, what it means for us as God's people um, to, uh, it, it, like we, we're going to spend the next 10 weeks to, to describe what it means for us as, as God's people to, to engage the world around us and to see the world around us and also to, to paint a picture of the world that we're trusting to see. We're going to be describing what we're calling our vision framework. We're going to be introducing you to our new banner statement. Now, if you're in corporate America, this is typically known as one's vision. It describes the mission that God has us on. It's God's intention that he has made clear to us. It's from God to us. And as we own it and embody it, it's from us to others. We're going to spend some time introducing you to our values, the the commitments that we're going to make to one another that are going to define our actions. And we're going to lastly, the last two Sundays of our 10-week series, we're going to look at what we call our ethics. It's the, it's the truths or it's the glue that holds all of this together. If you've been part of Church in the City uh, for any length of time, or if you've been visiting with us for any length of time, I, I, I guess, I trust that you've had an awareness that God is up to something. I certainly have, prior to having to step away for the last three weeks. And to be honest, the, the, the sense that I've got, even while being away, is despite what the devil has thrown at us, that sense of, of awareness that God is up to something has only increased. It is absolutely evident that Hannah's brain hemorrhage is, or was a, an attack by the devil on her and her future. And also, it was an attack on our biological family, but also our church family. But what I read earlier out of Romans chapter 8, God promises that anything and everything that we go through, He is going to be able to use it for His glory and for our ultimate benefit. While we were away um, a, a couple days after the surgery, Caden um, was needing some, some time with his dad. And so him and I went away. Caden's our 12-year-old son, or soon to be 12 um, we decided to go and watch Black Panther the weekend that it, that it opened, and um, such a such a cool such a cool movie, and uh, that was really lame. I had no that was really lame, and and in this there's a scene in the movie that um, that was really lame. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Forgive me. There's a scene in the movie that I just think so describes Romans chapter eight so so beautifully. And um, uh, the prince of, of Wakanda is, is kind of like James Bond gets introduced to these little gadgets. He's getting introduced to little gadgets that he's got. And one of them is this, is this panther suit. And this panther suit has this incredible ability to, to absorb kinetic energy that, that, that comes through punches and kicks. And is able to absorb that kinetic energy and then store it. And then later on use it as potential energy to bring about great destruction. And as I was sitting in that movie, I realized that's the very thing that we've gone through as a church family and in our family. The devil has, has, has thrown at us a significant blow. But by the grace of God, we've been not only able to absorb it, but we, are able to, we have been able to turn that around and use it for far greater glory to Jesus. And that's something of the expectation that... that 
that's something of the expectation that I have as I start this series, to, to see this radiant church that Jesus is building. I am so excited for what God is doing in our midst, that, that God is building a radiant church, and he will use even the things that the devil throws at us. And the privilege is, guys, is that we get to do this together. We realize that, that we are with one another, and we are for one another, that we serve the God of the impossible. We serve the God of the impossible. And, and we have the privilege to, to take all that, that we are learning and the Jesus that we, are, that we know and are getting to know and, and to share him with people around us. And if you're visiting here today, can I say that you are by no means excluded? I, I would even say that you've come at the perfect time because you are getting to hear some things that we are learning for the first time too. Over the next 10 weeks, we are at times going to pay homage to the past and the things that God has done. And today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on the foundations that God has built at church in the city. But I want to say, as much as we want to look at the past, we don't want to dwell on the past because there's no future there. Our future is in the things that God is taking us into. And our future is the promises that are still to be fulfilled in and through each of you and in and through this particular church. So whether you are a regular member or whether you are a first-time visitor, I want to invite you all to join us, to join us as, as we as elders preach this series over the next 10 weeks. But before we get there, before we jump in, just two points of quick housekeeping. I firstly want to thank Eric Staples, and I know he's probably going to hate me for doing this, but Eric, if you wouldn't mind just waving very quickly. Um, Eric Staples has been an absolute godsend. He is a new member of, of Church in the City. We've been friends for a while, though, and Eric works in corporate marketing and branding and has given up oodles and oodles of his time and expertise to sit with us and to help uh, take all that is in our hearts and to give it some form and structure. And Eric, you've been an absolute blessing to us, so thank you so much for for that. And the, th the second thing I want to encourage you guys to do is, is if you are not part of a connect group, um, even if you just do this for the next couple months, I want to encourage you to go online and to find a connect group that you can be a part of because we're going to be taking the sermons that we preach on Sundays and we're going to be wrestling through these truths in a smaller connect group setting. So online, you'll find tons of information about connect group. While you're there, I would encourage you to follow us on social media because Eloise is going to be posting things about our vision and values. This is going to be an, a season for us to learn much about what God is doing. I want to start off today by just taking us back to a prophetic picture that I shared four weeks ago, the Sunday prior to Hannah's, um, sorry, just a little, a little fun story. We, 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 calling it, we were calling it the incident, we were calling it the accident, and we didn't know what to call it, so Hannah and I decided we need to give this thing a name, to just reduce it from being this mythical thing to just being right in front of us. So it is called, and you have to pause for a moment, it is called... The bleed. That's what we've decided to, to call it. We've decided to demystify this thing and just, and just have it right there in front of us. So, the bleed. That's what this thing is called. So, just prior to the bleed, um, I shared with you on a Sunday um, just a, a, a prophetic picture that has given impetus to so much of, of what this new vision and value relaunch is about. Uh, uh, 
early one Sunday morning, I, um, I was out for a walk praying for church, and I felt God drop into my heart a prophetic picture, which to me was so profound and so crisp and so clear, and it was a picture of a construction site that I knew to be church in the city. But the unique thing about this construction site was there was nothing above ground. The only part of the construction that had been completed were the foundations, And in this prophetic picture, God kind of called me over and he gave me a brick, not unlike this one. And with it came the words, today we begin to build above ground. And as I began to meditate and think about that particular prophetic picture and work it through with the staff and elders, we began to realize that God was firstly reminding us that for a church to stand strong and and last for, 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 for many generations, it needs to have strong foundations. And strong foundations take time to build. And the second thing was that Jesus was inviting us to partner with him to build this radiant church. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to focus on, as I said, our banner statement, the thing that, we, that, that describes our mission. We're going to focus on our values. We're going to speak about the glue that holds it all together. And that is all about building above ground. And as we own and and embody these truths, we become living versions of this brick. We become living stones that God is going to be able to use to build this radiant church together. But what I want to focus on for the next 20 minutes or so, what I want to focus on this morning is specifically to look at the foundations that God has taken time to build. What What has Jesus established? What are the truths... That are, that are in the foundation of church in the city, no matter where we meet, no matter how many people are part of this church, no matter what we decide to call ourselves, what are those true foundations? No matter how we define our vision and values, what are those foundations that are true to church in the city? To help answer that question, I, I came across this um, little cartoon which kind of made me chuckle in the course of uh, this week. And the cartoon is of a, a goldfish bowl and there were three goldfish in there, an older one and two younger ones. And the older one uh, swims past the younger goldfish and he says, uh, what's up boys, how's the water? And the two younger goldfish look at each other and they go, my goodness, what on earth is water? Uh, the, the point of the, of the cartoon is simply this, is that sometimes the most obvious truths, sometimes the most important truths are the most obvious, and they're often the easiest to overlook. And I would say that to to church in the city, to to Christians in general, but specifically to church in the city, the, the gospel, and I'll define the gospel in a moment, the gospel is the water to us. The gospel is something that is often so easily overlooked and so easily forgotten, but it is the most important truth about who we are and what we are called to be. And and just to let you know, what I understand to be the gospel is two things. Number one, it's the reality of the historical moment of the good news of what Jesus did on the cross that communicates God's love, God's our value and our worth to God so worth to him that he gave his son to die on the cross for us. But also the gospel is the continuing application of the truth of God's love that defines our identity and our purpose. It's a moment in time and it's a lifelong change because of that. And I would suggest, friends, that that is the often most overlooked yet singularly important truth about church in the city. 
So what is this gospel? What is this foundation that Jesus has established? We're gonna look at Colossians chapter one. If you can turn to your, in your Bibles to Colossians chapter one. And we're gonna look at a passage of scripture from verse 13 to verse 23. We're gonna focus specifically on the last few verses. But I wanna read that, take us through verse 13 to 23 because it is full of incredible truths that define what I understand to be this foundation that God has built at church in the city. And it starts off in verse 13. It says, for he... For, the, for he, who is he? It's the Father. It's the Father. Salvation is about us being reconciled with the Father, us having intimacy with the Father. For he, the Father, has rescued us, has, has delivered us from the dominion of darkness, and he has brought us, he has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There was a moment in time for every person here who was a believer in Jesus Christ, there was a a moment in time, a point in history where you surrendered your heart to Jesus and you became a child of God. Your citizenship was changed. You were transferred in that moment of surrendering to Jesus. You were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and you were securely rooted in the kingdom of the Son of God, the the Son that God loves. Your citizenship has changed and that significant moment has had an impact on the rest of your life. The best way I can illustrate that, and forgive me for those who've been part of church in the city for a while because you've heard this illustration a thousand times, but since this is a looking back moment, our family became American citizens about three or four years ago. And there was a moment in time where we stood before a judge And we raised our right hand and we, I don't know if we raised our right hand or placed it on our hearts, but we did one of the two. Maybe we did both. But we we raised our right hand and we pledged allegiance to the flag of this nation. And in that moment, in that moment in time, we were sworn in as citizens of this country. And that moment has played itself out in the way that we live. Every day we live in this nation, we are becoming more and more the Americans that we now are. Now there are times, well most times, we still sound South African. And there are times when people will see us and our behavior and think, my goodness, you are not American at all, you are South African. But the reality is I have this legal document, my passport, which says I am legally a citizen of this nation. And friends, that's exactly what has happened on the day we gave our hearts to Jesus. Our citizenship was transferred transferred into the kingdom of light, but there are times we still behave like people who live in darkness. When we make mistakes, when we stumble, when we fall, and the devil will come and accuse us and say, you are not worthy of being in the kingdom of light. And we can say, here's the legal document. My behavior does not determine my position. The truth of God's word determines my position. I am in Christ, securely situated in the kingdom of light. But the reality is, friends, we are becoming more and more the people that we already are. And that's the great truth of the gospel. I am saved and rooted in Jesus, and I'm becoming more and more the reality of the person I am in him. And that means I start to live like the verse tells us. We live like people who are rescued. We live like citizens of heaven. We live like those who are redeemed and those who've been forgiven. Who has made all of this possible? Verse 15 to 20 tells us, verse 15, who has made this possible? 
the Son. The Son. Jesus. This is how Paul describes Jesus. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's the one who has made all of this possible. The Lord of all and the Lord over all. And when I think that Jesus is Lord of all and Lord over all, I can only think of two appropriate ways to respond to that. Now, now normally I would use the word surrender, but that's a, that's a difficult word sometimes. So I'm going to use the word worship to describe our response to Jesus. Firstly, our worship, our surrender needs to be comprehensive. And I want to say, friends, how can it be anything else if we understand Jesus to be Lord of all? And by comprehensive, I mean we need to learn to surrender all to Jesus. Everything, even that which is most dear to you, to be able to open your hands. And this is not something that we've necessarily conquered because I know this is going to be tested again in the future, but to open our hands to everything and to say, Jesus, I worship you with all that I have and everything that you've given me. Not only is our worship comprehensive, but our worship needs to be unconditional, which means I don't worship God on my terms. I don't worship God when it makes sense. I don't worship God when it's easy. I don't worship God only when it's going well. I don't worship when everything is lining up because that is worship on our terms. But when we find the strength and the grace in God and God gives us the strength, when we find the strength and the grace of God to worship God despite when it seems to be impossible, I wanna tell you, friends, that's when we break into a realm of the supernatural that we can't figure out in our own strength. And who are we called to be reconciled with? Look at verse 21. These are the verses I want us to focus on this morning. Verse 21 to 23 says, once you were alienated from God, from the Father, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he, the Father, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard And that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Friends, according to these verses, you and I, as believers in Jesus, have been totally transformed. 
We were once alienated. We were once enemies of God. We were full of evil behavior, but now we are holy. We are without blemish, and we are free from accusation. We have been totally transformed by the power of Jesus through his death death and, and resurrection because we've been reconciled. We've been given the gift of intimacy with the Father. And because we have intimacy with the Father, everything that tries to hold us back or hold us down is now cast aside. We need, we have the privilege, but we need to exercise the privilege of the Father speaking worth and value and identity over us. We live in a world where the world is trying to conform us into its image. And I've experienced that these last few weeks, trying to be strong and brave and and trying to be an example to my family. And, And I didn't need the world to impose itself upon me. I needed my father to speak over me. The world will try to conform you to its image. And let me tell you, the world's image is if you behave a certain way, you can be called a certain thing. If you do good things, you are classified as a good person. If you're successful in your business, you are called a success. If you fall short of the world's standards, you're considered a failure. And the only thing the world releases is fear and anxiety. The fear that I'll never make it and the anxiety that if I do ever make it, I'll never be able to hang on. And the alternative to that is often we start to look inside. I'm not going to let the world impose itself on me. I'm going to look within and I'm going to become the person that I need to become. But the problem is outside of Jesus, I'm just as flawed as the world. I love the story of the Lion King because for me, there's a moment in that story that speaks to what I'm trying to communicate here. Simba is growing up and he's, he's, he's struggling with his identity of the call to be king. And, and the, the witch doctor, the, the, the baboon, kind of pulls him aside. That sounds awful in a sermon, doesn't it? But anyway, um, yeah. He pulls him aside and he takes him to this pool. And, 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 and Simba looks into this pool and he, and he sees a reflection of his father. And his father says this, Simba, remember, remember, remember who you are. You are my son. And that's the voice that we need to hear. We need to hear our father say, Rick, Rick, remember, you are my son. Melody, remember, remember, you are my daughter. The father speaking over us. And that's what releases us to understand our identity and our worth. That's applying the gospel to ourselves every single day. I need to be reminded that I'm reconciled with him. Verse 21 says, because you, 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 were, you were alienated, you were enemies because of your evil behavior. You might sit there and think, well, wait a minute, Steve. Uh, evil behavior? That's not me. I, I'm not an enemy of God. That very well might be the truth. You might not be an enemy of God or you might not be uh, involved in evil behavior that's effectively uh, opposing the things of God. But this verse does tell you that you've been alienated even if you are doing good things. When Becca and Hannah both went off to college, we went off and had the chat, which was me spending one-on-one time with my girls Uh, having breakfast and reminding them of the things that we had learned together as a family and encouraging them to to go to college in a way that would honor their their God and honor their family and honor themselves and and, and to be a blessing. And, and And if Bex and Hannah both went off to college and imagine that they 
well, don't imagine that they lived that way, because they did live that way. Um, they certainly did honor us, and they certainly did honor themselves. But imagine if, in, despite doing all the good things, just imagine for a moment they never text, texted us, or never Snapchatted, or never called, or never visited. And if one of you saw me a couple months after they left and said, hey, how's Hannah doing at college? How's Bex? Despite their good behavior, I would say, it's tragic. We're separated. We're alienated. We need to be reconciled. And that's what this verse is telling about us and our relationship with God. Despite the good things we do, God is not after good things. God is after a relationship. And verse 22 tells us, he says, but now, there's a a change. We were these things. We were, but now, he, the Father, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Jesus went through awful suffering so that we could be reconciled to the Father. And verse, it goes on to say, in order to present you. I want you to just take a moment to close your eyes. And in your mind's eye, I want you to imagine this, uh, the scene of the throne room of heaven. I want you to picture the Father seated on this incredible throne with his son Jesus at his right hand. I want you to imagine lightning and brilliant light and rainbow colors just emulating uh, 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 from out of the throne. I want you to picture uh, angels and, and heavenly creatures circling the throne, declaring holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I want you to picture the halls of heaven lined with believers who have gone to be with the Father in heaven. Now with that picture in your mind, the Bible says we are presented to the Father. That's how God presents us. God God brings us into the throne room of heaven and he says, here are my sons and daughters. Here is Eric and here is Ken and here is Abigail. They are holy They are uh, uh, without blemish, and they are free from accusation. You hear the word holy, and you think, Steve, wait a minute. Do you you even know me? Do, Do you even know me? And I could say the same thing, friends, but the reality is it's not who I am in, in, in the flesh. It's who I am in Jesus. I am holy in Jesus, and as I said earlier, I'm becoming the person I already am, and I'm free from, free from blemish. I'm clothed in the perfection of Jesus, and I'm free from accusation. The price has been paid. The devil has no right or way to accuse us because the price has been paid. I had a bit of a kind of a graphic illustration of this soon after Hannah's surgery. We were, I'd called Northwestern and had a difficult conversation with them, um, and they basically told us that every day that Hannah wasn't out of her room, we would be charged for, for every day. So basically, they told us we needed to right then and there go and clear out her room. So I was a little bit agitated by that, and Bex and I got boxes together, and we drove off to the Northwestern campus, and we had to go and park next to Hannah's dorm, but it was a faculty and visitor parking permit only. And so we went off and we bought our parking permit for the day and we hung it on our, on our uh, mirror. And um, we pulled into the parking lot and there was one spot available, but the, the garden crew were clearing out the snow from the blizzard that, that, that week. And so we had parked off and I said to the guy, can I take that spot? He said, yes. And I'd been waiting there for about five minutes and this faculty member drove up in front of me 
and kind of angled her way in front of me to take that spot. And I was, I mean, I, I hate to admit this, I'm just being real, I was, I was looking for a fight with somebody. I was like, you know, come on, I'm, 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 I'm ready for this. But I didn't fight with them. I graciously got out of the car and I knocked on their window and I said, excuse me, ma'am, but we're waiting for the spot. And with sarcasm dripping from her, her lips, she said, oh, so you must be a faculty member then. And I turned around and walked off and went and got my visitor parking pass. And I said, no, but I have purchased this. I'm a visitor. I have got my visitor parking pass. I can park right here. The accusation that she threw at me that I wasn't allowed to park there was silenced. I know that's a silly little illustration, but that's the very thing that the devil does to us, friends. He'll accuse us. People will accuse us. And we have the reality of who we are in Jesus to quieten the accusations of the Father. I mean, sorry, the accusations of the devil. Verse 22 carries on. We nearly finished. It says here, if you continue in your faith. Now, this is the challenging verse. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out of, in the gospel. This implies that, that faith is, the, is my contribution to the equation. And I'm going to say that's not what this verse is trying to say. This verse is trying to say, as true as the sky is blue, you are presented in Christ, holy, without blemish, free from accusation. But we experience this reality when we preach this truth to ourselves, when we remind ourselves by faith of the reality of who we are. Matt called me on Thursday as I was getting Kate from school. And he told me that Hannah's situation was very serious. And there was a very real possibility that we might lose her. And it was about a day and a half or two days until we were certain that she was out of death's way or death's door. And during those two days, there was a very real presence of the devil knocking on my heart every few moments. It felt like a vulture of fear sitting on my shoulder. And every now and then, I just felt this little tap on my heart, reminding me that he was there, trying to convince me of an alternative outcome, trying to accuse me of things I hadn't done, that I hadn't prayed enough, that I wasn't faithful enough, and that I wasn't strong enough to stand in faith to see my girl come through. And the reality is, friends, until I found the strength in God to remind myself and to remind the devil of who I am in Jesus and who Hannah is in Jesus and, his and her outcome secured by the promise of God, until I preached the gospel to myself, the devil didn't keep quiet. And friends, this can be true of us, but there are moments in time where we need to find the strength and courage to preach the gospel to ourselves in order to quieten the lies of the devil. And that's what Paul says in verse 23. This is the gospel that has been proclaimed and of which I have become a servant. We want to preach the gospel to the world, but we've got to preach it to ourselves first. We've got to remind ourselves that I have been totally transformed. 
I was alienated. I was an enemy of God. I was full of evil behavior. And now I am holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. I have been totally transformed by the power of Jesus through his death and through his resurrection because I've been reconciled with the Father. I've been given the gift of intimacy with the Father. And everything that tries to hold me back or hold me down is broken off in Jesus' name. And so I want to end by asking the question we asked at the beginning. What is the conviction, the belief, the foundation that God is building at church in the city? What is true of church in the city, irrespective of what we name ourselves or where we meet or how many people are part of the church or no matter what definition we give to our values or our vision? What is that foundation statement? What is true of what God has built at church in the city? And it's what I've been saying all along, and it'll come up on the screen behind me. This is the foundation. This is the the belief that is true of church in the city. This is the gospel. The power and presence of Jesus deeply transforms lives by gifting us intimacy with the Father and freeing us from everything that holds us back, holds us down, and holds us back. That's our foundation. That's the truth on which we stand. That's the truth on which this church stands and will always stand. That Jesus, by his death on the cross, has gifted us intimacy with our heavenly Father. That we can find our worth and our value in him. And everything that the devil or the world or even ourselves try to put on ourselves that will hold us back is broken off in Jesus' name because of who we are in him. So I ask the last question, and I'm not going to go anywhere near it, but I want to lay the foundation for, for next week. What is the first brick built on this foundation? The first brick built on this foundation is our banner statement. The belief that we have of, of what we want to see, what we want to become. I want everyone to experience that. I want everyone in this church to experience that. I want everyone in Chicago to experience that. I want everyone in the nations to experience that. Not my view of Jesus, not my concept of Jesus, but the Jesus that we read about in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. The Jesus that is Lord of all and Lord over all. And so this is our vision statement, which we were going to be preaching on next week. If you can go to the next slide. This is our vision statement. All of Jesus. All of Jesus. For everyone. For absolutely everyone. We want all of Jesus. The supreme Lord of all. The Jesus that is described in the scriptures. We want all of that Jesus to be experienced by everyone. And so, Father, as we just bring this morning into land, if the worship team can come up as well. Lord, as we bring this morning into land, as we go into this time of worship just to cement and to secure everything that we've learned this morning, I pray, Father God, that these foundations that we've learned this morning, this reality of the gospel, of what you have done in us and for us, Jesus, the moment in time that we surrendered our hearts to you, Jesus, and and the reality that that changes the way we live. I pray, Lord God, that by work of your spirit, not just in this moment, but in the coming week, you would massage this truth and this reality into our hearts, I pray. 
Thank you, Lord, that you want us to get to know the fullness of your son. Not just the bits and pieces of Jesus that we like, not just the bits and pieces of Jesus that we have understood now, but Lord, here we are, we wanna get to know, still not come to know the fullness of Jesus. But Lord, we are saying, here we are, we wanna get to know him. Jesus, we wanna get to know you, all of you, every part of you, and we want everyone to experience that. Lord, lead us. Lord, guide us. Lord, fill us. Lord, strengthen us, we pray. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.